Chapter Two of First Lensman by E. E. Doc Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. First Lensman, Chapter Two. As has been said, the hill, which had been built to be the Tellurian headquarters of the Triplanetary Service, and which was now the headquarters of the half-organized Solarian Patrol, was and is a truncated, alloy-sheathed, honeycombed mountain. But since human beings do not like to live eternally underground, no matter how beautifully lighted or how carefully and comfortably air-conditioned the dungeon may be, the reservation spread far beyond the foot of that grey, forbidding, mirror-smooth cone of metal. Well outside that far-flung reservation there was a small city. There were hundreds of highly productive farms, and particularly upon this bright May afternoon there was a recreation park, containing, among other things, dozens of tennis courts. One of these courts was three-quarters enclosed by stands, from which a couple of hundred people were watching a match which seemed to be of some little local importance. Two men sat in a box which had seats for twenty, and watched admiringly the pair who seemed in a fair way to win in straight sets the mixed doubles championship of the hill. Fine-looking couple, Rod, if I do say so myself, as well as being smooth performers," Solarian Councillor Virgil Sam spoke to his companion as the opponents changed courts. "'I still think, though, the young hussy ought to wear some clothes. Those white nylon shorts make her look nakeder even than usual. I told her so, too, the jade, but she keeps on wearing less and less.' "'Of course,' Commissioner Roderick K. Kinnison laughed quietly. What did you expect? She got her hair and eyes from you, why not your hard-headedness, too? One thing, though, that's all to the good. She's got what it takes to strip ship that way, and most of them haven't. But what I can't understand is why they don't—" He paused. I don't either. Lord knows we've thrown them at each other hard enough, and Jack Kinnison and Jill Sams would certainly make a pair to draw to. But if they won't— but maybe they will yet. They're still youngsters, and they're friendly enough." If Sam's pair could have been out on the court, however, instead of in the box, he would have been surprised, for young Kinnison, although smiling enough as to face, was addressing his gorgeous partner in terms which carried little indeed of friendliness. "'Listen, you bird-brained, knot-headed, grand-standing half-wit!' he stormed, voice low but bitterly intense. I ought to beat your alleged brains out. I've told you a thousand times to watch your own territory and stay out of mine. If you had been where you belonged, or even taken my signal, Frank couldn't have made that thirty-all point. And if Lois had netted, she'd have caught you flat-footed, a kilometer out of position, and made it deuce. What do you think you're doing, anyway? Playing tennis, or seeing how many innocent bystanders you can bring down out of control? What do you think?" the girl sneered sweetly. Her tawny eyes, only a couple of inches below his own, almost emitted sparks. And just look at who's trying to tell who to do what. For your information, Master Pilot John K. Kinnison, I'll tell you that just because you can't quit being Killer Kinnison even long enough to let two good friends of ours get a point now and then, or maybe even a game, is no reason why I've got to turn into Killer Sam's. And I'll also tell you—you'll tell me nothing, Jill—I'm telling you. 
Start giving away points in anything, and you'll find out some day that you've given away too many. I'm not having any of that kind of game. And as long as you're playing with me, you aren't either, or else. If you louse up this match just once more, the next ball I serve will hit the tightest part of those fancy white shorts of yours, right where the hip pocket would be if they had any, and it'll raise a welt that will make you eat off the mantle for three days. So watch your step. You insufferable lug! I'd like to smash this racket over your head. I'll do it, too, and walk off the court, if you don't— The whistle blew. Virgilia Sams, all smiles, towed the baseline and became the personification and embodiment of smoothly flowing motion. The ball whizzed over the net, barely clearing it, a sizzling service ace. The game went on. And a few minutes later, in the shower-room, where Jack Kinnison was caroling lustily while plying a towel, a huge young man strode up and slapped him ringingly between the shoulder-blades. "'Congratulations, Jack, and so forth. But there's a thing I want to ask you. Confidential, sort of.' "'Shoot! Haven't we been eating out of the same dish for lo these many moons? Why the diffidence all of a sudden, Mace? It isn't in character.' "'Well, it's—' I'm a lip-reader, you know. Sure, we all are. What of it? It's only that—well, I saw what you and Miss Sam said to each other out there, and if that was lover's small talk, I'm a Venerian mud-puppy. Lovers! Who the hell ever said we were lovers? Oh, you've been inhaling some of Dad's balloon juice. Lovers! Me and that red-headed stinker, that jelly-brained sapodilly? Hardly. Hold it, Jack. The big officer's voice was slightly edged. You're off course. A hell of a long flit off. That girl has got everything. She's the class of the reservation. Why, she's a regular twelve-nineteen. Huh? Amazed, young Kinnison stopped drying himself and stared. You mean to say you've been giving her a miss just because? He had started to say— because you're the best friend I've got in the system, but he did not. Well, it would have smelled slightly cheesy, I thought. The other man did not put into words either what both of them so deeply knew to be the truth. But if you haven't got—if it's okay with you, of course—stand by for five seconds. I'll take you around. Jack threw on his uniform, and in a few minutes the two young officers, immaculate in the space black and silver of the patrol, made their way toward the women's dressing-rooms. "'But she's all right at that, in most ways, I guess,' Kinnison was half-apologizing for what he had said. "'Outside of being chicken-hearted and pig-headed, she's a good egg. She really qualifies. Most of the time. But I wouldn't have her, bonus attached, any more than she would have me. It's strictly mutual. You won't fall for her either, Mace.' You'll want to pull one of her legs off and beat the rest of her to death with it inside of a week. But there's nothing like finding things out for yourself." In a short time Miss Sams appeared, dressed somewhat less revealingly than before in the blouse and kilts which were the mode of the moment. "'Hi, Jill. This is Mace. I've told you about him. My boatmate. Master Electronicist Mason Northrup.' "'Yes, I've heard about you. Troncist, a lot.' She shook hands warmly. "'He hasn't been putting tracers on you, Jill, on account of he figured he'd be poaching. Can you figure that? I straighten him out, though, in short order. 
Told him why, too. So he ought to be insulated against any voltage you can generate. Oh, you did? How sweet of you. But how— Oh, those? She gestured at the powerful prism binoculars, a part of the uniform of every officer of space. Uh-huh. Northrop wriggled, but held firm. If I'd only been as big and husky as you are— surveying admiringly some six feet two of altitude and two hundred odd pounds of hard meat, gristle and bone. I'd have grabbed him by one ankle, whirled him around my head, and flung him into the fifteenth row of seats. What's the matter with him, Ace, is that he was born centuries and centuries too late. He should have been an overseer when they built the pyramids, flogging slaves because they wouldn't step just so. Or better yet, one of those people it told about in those funny old books they dug up last year, liege lords or something like that, remember? With the power of life and death, high, middle, and low justice, whatever that was, over their vassals and their families, serfs and serving-wenches. Especially serving-wenches. He likes little, cuddly baby-talkers who pretend to be utterly spineless and completely brainless, eh, Jack? Ouch! Touché, Jill! but maybe I had it coming to me at that. Let's call it off, shall we? I'll be seeing you too, hither or yon." Kinnison turned and hurried away. "'Want to know why he's doing such a quick flit?' Jill grinned up at her companion, a bright, quick grin. Not that he was giving up. The blonde over there, the one in the rocket red. Very few blondes can wear such a violent shade. Dimples Maynard. And is she, er, cuddly and baby-talkish? Uh-uh. She's a grand person. I was just popping off. So was he. You know that neither of us really meant half of what we said. Or, at least— Her voice died away. I don't know whether I do or not, Northrop replied, awkwardly but honestly. That was savage stuff, if there ever was any. I can't see for the life of me why you two, two of the world's finest people, should have to tear into each other that way. Do you? I don't know that I ever thought of it like that. Jill caught her lower lip between her teeth. He's splendid, really, and I like him a lot, usually. We get along perfectly most of the time. We don't fight at all, except when we're too close together, and then we fight about anything and everything. Say, suppose that that could be it like charges, repelling each other inversely as the square of the distance. That's about the way it seems to be. Could be, and I'm glad. The man's face cleared. And I'm a charge of the opposite sign. Let's go. And in Virgil Sam's deeply buried office, civilization's two strongest men were deep in conversation. Troubles enough to keep four men of our size awake nights. Sam's voice was light, but his eyes were moody and somber. You can probably whip yours, though, in time. They're mostly in one solar system. A short flit covers the rest. Languages and customs are known. But how, how, can legal processes work efficiently, work at all for that matter, when a man can commit a murder or a pirate can loot a spaceship and be a hundred parsecs away before the crime is even discovered? How can a Tellurian John Law find a criminal on a strange world that knows nothing whatever of our patrol, with a completely alien language? Maybe no language at all. 
where it takes months even to find out who and where, if any, the native police officers are. But there must be a way, Rod. There's got to be a way. Sam slammed his open hand resoundingly against his desk's bare top. And by God, I'll find it. The patrol will come out on top. Crusader Sam's, now and forever. There was no trace of mockery in Kinnison's voice or expression, but only friendship and admiration. And I'll bet you do. Your interstellar patrol, or whatever. Galactic patrol. I know what the name of it is going to be, if nothing else. It's just as good as in the bag right now. You've done a job so far, Verge. The whole system, Nevia, the colonies on Aldebaran II, and other planets, even Valeria, as tight as a drum. Funny about Valeria, isn't it? There was a moment of silence, then Kinnison went on. But wherever diamonds are, there go Dutchmen. And Dutch women go wherever their men do. And, in spite of medical advice, Dutch babies arrive. Although a lot of the adults died, three G's is no joke, practically all of the babies keep on living. Developing bones and muscles to fit, walking at a year and a half old, living normally. They say that the third generation will be perfectly at home there. Which shows that the human animal is more adaptable than some ranking medicos had believed is all. Don't try to sidetrack me, Rod. You know as well as I do what we're up against. The new headaches that interstellar commerce is bringing with it. New vices, drugs, thionite, for instance. We haven't been able to get an inkling of an idea as to where that stuff is coming from. And I don't have to tell you what piracy has done to insurance rates. I'll say not. Look at the price of Aldebaranian cigars, the only kind fit to smoke. You've given up, then, on the idea that Arisha is the pirate's GHQ? Definitely, it isn't. The pirates are even more afraid of it than tramp spacemen are. It's out of bounds, absolutely forbidden territory, apparently, to everybody, my best operatives included. All we know about it is the name, Arisia, that our planetographers gave it. It is the first completely incomprehensible thing I have ever experienced. I am going out there myself as soon as I can take the time. Not that I expect to crack a thing that my best men couldn't touch. But there have been so many different and conflicting reports. No two stories agree on anything except in that no one could get anywhere near the planet. That I feel the need of some first-hand information. Want to come along? Try to keep me from it. But at that we shouldn't be too surprised. Sam's went on thoughtfully. Just beginning to scratch the surface as we are, we should expect to encounter peculiar, baffling, even completely inexplicable things. Facts, situations, events, and beings for which our one-system experience could not possibly have prepared us. In fact, we already have. If, ten years ago, anyone had told you that such a race as the Rigelians existed, what would you have thought? One ship went there, you know, once. One hour in any Rigelian city. One minute in a Rigelian automobile drives a Tellurian insane. I see your point, Kinnison nodded. Probably I would have ordered a mental examination. And the Palanians are even worse. People, if you can call them that, who live on Pluto and like it. 
entity so alien that nobody, as far as I know, understands them. But you don't have to go even that far from home to locate a job of unscrewing the unscrutable. Who, what, and why, and for how long, was Gray Roger? And not far behind him is this young Bergenholm of yours. And by the way, you never did give me the lowdown on how come it was the Bergenholm and not the Roadbush Cleveland that made transgalactic commerce possible and caused nine-tenths of our headaches. As I get the story, Bergenholm wasn't, isn't, even an engineer. Didn't I? Thought I did. He wasn't and isn't. Well, the original Roadbush Cleveland free drive was a killer, you know. How I know! Kinnison exclaimed feelingly. They beat their brains out and ate their hearts out for months, without getting it any better. Then, one day, this kid Bergenholm ambles into their shop, big, awkward, stumbling over his own feet. He gazes innocently at the thing for a couple of minutes, then says, "'Why don't you use uranium instead of iron, and rewind it so it will put out a waveform like this, with humps here and here, instead of there and there, and he draws a couple of freehand, but really beautiful curves.' Why should we? they squawk at him. Because it will work that way, he says, and ambles out as unconcernedly as he came in. Can't or won't say another word. Well, in sheer desperation, they tried it, and it worked. And nobody has ever had a minute's trouble with a Bergen home since. That's why Roadbush and Cleveland both insisted on the name. I see, and it points up what I just said. But if he's such a mental giant, why isn't he getting results with his own problem, the meteor? Or is he? No, or at least he wasn't as of last night. But there's a note on my pad that he wants to see me sometime today. Suppose we have him come in now. Fine, I'd like to talk to him, if it's okay with you and with him. The young scientist was called in and was introduced to the commissioner. Go ahead, Dr. Bergenholm, Sam suggested then. You may talk to both of us just as freely as though you and I were alone. I have, as you already know, been called psychic, Bergenholm began abruptly. It is said that I dream dreams, see visions, hear voices, and so on, that I operate on hunches, that I am a genius. Now, I very definitely am not a genius, unless my understanding of the meaning of that word is different from that of the rest of mankind. Bergenholm paused. Sams and Kinnison looked at each other. The latter broke the short silence. The counselor and I have just been discussing the fact that there are a great many things we do not know, that with the extension of our activities into new fields, the occurrence of the impossible has become almost a commonplace. We are able, I believe, to listen with open minds to anything you have to say. Very well. But first, please know that I am a scientist. As such, I am trained to observe, to think calmly, clearly, and analytically, to test every hypothesis. I do not believe at all in the so-called supernatural. This universe did not come into being, it does not continue to be, except by the operation of natural and immutable laws. And I mean immutable, gentlemen. Everything that has ever happened, that is happening now, or that ever is to happen, was is and will be statistically connected with its predecessor event and with its successor event. If I did not believe that implicitly, I would lose all faith in the scientific method. 
for if one single supernatural event or thing had ever occurred or existed it would have constituted an entirely unpredictable event and would have initiated a series a succession of such events a state of things which no scientist will or can believe possible in an orderly universe at the same time i recognize the fact that i myself have done things caused events to occur if you prefer that i cannot explain to you or to any other human being in any symbology known to our science and it is about an even more inexplicable call it hunch if you like that i ask to have a talk with you today but you are arguing in circles sams protested or are you trying to set up a paradox neither i am merely clearing the way for a somewhat startling thing i am to say later on you know of course that any situation with which a mind is unable to cope a really serious dilemma which it cannot resolve will destroy that mind frustration escape from reality and so on you also will realize that i must have become cognizant of my own peculiarities long before anyone else did or could ah i see yes of course sams intensely interested leaned forward yet your present personality is adequately splendidly integrated how could you possibly have overcome reconciled a situation so full of conflict you are i think familiar with my parentage sams keen as he was did not consider it noteworthy that the big norwegian answered his question only by asking one of his own yes oh i'm beginning to see but commissioner kinnison has not had access to your dossier go ahead my father is dr hjalmar bergenholm my mother before her marriage was dr olga bjornsson both were and are nuclear physicists very good ones pioneers they have been called they worked and are still working in the newest outermost fringes of the field oh kinnison exclaimed a mutant born with second sight or whatever it is not second sight as history describes the phenomenon no the records do not show that any such faculty was ever demonstrated to the satisfaction of any competent scientific investigator what i have is something else whether or not it will breed true is an interesting topic of speculation but one having nothing to do with the problem now in hand to return to the subject I resolved my dilemma long since. There is, I am absolutely certain, a science of the mind, which is as definite, as positive, as immutable of law as is the science of the physical. While I will make no attempt to prove it to you, I know that such a science exists, and that I was born with the ability to perceive at least some elements of it. Now to the matter of the meteor of the patrol that problem was and is purely physical the pirates have just as able scientists as we have what physical science can devise and synthesize physical science can analyze and duplicate there is a point however beyond which physical science cannot go it can neither analyze nor imitate the tangible products of that which i have so loosely called the science of the mind i know councillor sams what the triplanetary service needs something vastly more than its meteor i also know that the need will become greater and greater as the sphere of action of the patrol expands 
Without a really efficient symbol, the Solarian Patrol will be hampered even more than the Triplanetary Service, and its logical extension into the Space Patrol, or whatever that larger organization may be called, will be definitely impossible. We need something which will identify any representative of civilization positively and unmistakably wherever he may be. It must be impossible of duplication, or even of imitation, to which end it must kill any unauthorized entity who attempts to imposture. It must operate as a telepath between its owner and any living intelligence, of however high or low degree, so that mental communication, so much clearer and faster than physical, will be possible without the laborious learning of language, or between us and such peoples as those of Rigel Four or of Palaim Seven, both of whom we know to be of high intelligence, and who must already be conversant with telepathy. "'Are you, or have you been, reading my mind?' Sams asked quietly. "'No,' Bergenholm replied flatly. "'It is not, and has not been necessary. Any man who can think, who has really considered the question, and who has the good of civilization at heart, must have come to the same conclusions.' Probably so, at that. But no more side issues. You have a solution of some kind worked out, or you would not be here. What is it? It is that you, Solarian Councillor Sams, should go to Aresia as soon as possible. Aresia! Sams exclaimed, and Aresia! Of all the hells in space, why Aresia? And how can we make the approach? Don't you know that nobody can get anywhere near that damn planet?" Bergenholm shrugged his shoulders and spread both arms wide in pantomime of complete helplessness. "'How do you know? Another of your hunches?' Kinnison went on. "'Or did somebody tell you something? Where did you get it?' "'It is not a hunch,' the Norwegian replied positively. "'No one told me anything. But I know.' as definitely as I know that the combustion of hydrogen and oxygen will yield water, that the Aresians are very well versed in that which I have called the science of the mind, that if Virgil Sams goes to Aresia, he will obtain the symbol he needs, that he will never obtain it otherwise. As to how I know these things, I can't, I just, I know it, I tell you. Without another word, without asking permission to leave, Bergenholm whirled around and hurried out. Sams and Kinnison stared at each other. "'Well?' Kinnison asked, quizzically. "'I'm going. Now. Whether I can be spared or not, and whether you think I'm out of control or not, I believe him. Every word. And besides, there's the Bergenholm. How about you? Coming?' "'Yes. Can't say that I'm sold one hundred percent. But, as you say, the Bergenholm is a hard fact to shrug off. And at a minimum rating, it's got to be tried. What are you taking? Not a fleet, probably. The Boise? Or the Chicago? It was the Commissioner of Public Safety speaking now, the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. The Chicago, I'd say, the fastest and strongest thing in space. Recommendation approved. Blast off. Twelve hundred hours tomorrow. End of chapter 2